0: This is the third day of Christmas. (laughs) Y'all busting out into song internally, the third day of Christmas. Yeah, third day of Christmas. What does that even mean, the third day of Christmas? Is it only about three French hens? Is that what the third day of Christmas is all about? Um, Does anyone even care what the third day of Christmas is about? You know, it's interesting because we are such a culture of firsts and last and highest and lowest and extremes. That's what we celebrate, that's what we're all about. You know, so the middle child, right? The middle child is the one that kind of gets passed over because the first child, you know, and then the baby. And then what about the middle child? What about the third day of Christmas or even the fourth or the fifth? You know, does anybody celebrate that? Is there any reason to celebrate that? You know, what's the deal here? Is there some way that we should be changing our thinking so that the third day of Christmas is just as important as the first? I mean, it really is when you think about it. What else is happening on the third day of Christmas? Well, in case you didn't know, liturgically, the third day of Christmas is also the Feast of St. John the Evangelist. Yeah. And in some traditions, Catholic traditions, the Feast of the Holy Family has been moved to December 26th. Today is the 26th. 27th, so it's the third day of Christmas. So in some there, in some not... Um, What is going on when we talk about liturgically, when we talk about what is happening liturgically? And I bring this up every once in a while. I was uh, born and raised Catholic, 12 years of Catholic school. It is amazing how deeply the liturgy gets pounded into you. What is a liturgy? A liturgy is a form It is a standardized form. It is a a ritualized form of public worship, of communal worship. It is the way through which a community a people can respond and participate in their worship. It's an important part of what we do. We don't have a standardized ritual or standardized liturgy here. There are basically two kinds of churches, and I don't know if you knew this. One is a liturgical church, and that's like the Catholic Church or the Episcopal Church, or high Methodist, high Lutheran. And that is where the liturgy is the star, basically. This, the, the whole form of the service is wrapped around this standardized ritual, this this way of doing worship in which the people can all respond and participate. The other type of church is a ministerial church. That's the type of church that we have where the focus is on the minister, the pastors, the teachers, the musicians, and so on and so forth. And so it's a different style. It's a different way. I grew up in a liturgical church, Catholic church. I remember, oh, man, it's been 40 years now since I've actually practiced Catholicism. But probably 15 or 20 years ago, Uh, I attended a mass, a funeral mass, um, for a co-worker, and our whole group of workers were there with us. And I was sitting right next to a young man. I I remember it was so great. He's an ex-heroin addict. had tats everywhere. But he had come back around again. He not only was sober, but he had come back around to Christianity. But he had landed in the Episcopal Church, And that's a liturgical church as well. And he was sitting right next to me, and I'm just watching, and I'm getting enveloped in the liturgy, and it's amazing, even after that 20 or 25 years, it's all still there. You know, it's all coming back to me as it was being, you know, unwound in front of me. And I don't know if it was the way that I was looking or something that he sensed from me, but he leaned in and he whispered in my ear, do you miss the liturgy? And I said, oh yeah. You know, tears were coming down my face by that time. There's something about it doing the same thing at the same time over and over again. It can seem boring. It can seem like, you know, just meaningless repetition. But if you are entering into it, and I confess that I really didn't as a kid, but as an adult, hearing it again, it had new weight and new meaning. The liturgy... This is what all the services wrap around in a liturgical church. But not only the services themselves, but the cycle of readings and feast days and and seasons within the year are also on a liturgical cycle and calendar as well. All the liturgical churches within Christianity, Um, Judaism, of course, is liturgical. They have their cycles. Sometimes it's one year, sometimes it's three years. And so the year itself is also being part of this liturgical programming. And it's just beautiful the way it works. About half the year is taken up with just Christmas and Easter, the two main feasts of Christianity, but we have, before Christmas, we have Advent, which lasts around 25 days. It's four Sundays. It varies depending on where Christmas falls. And then you have Christmas Tide. And that's the 12 days of Christmas that you have probably heard of. It starts Christmas Day and it ends January 5th, which is Epiphany Eve. And so you've got the 12 days of Christmas. And then starting on January 6th with Epiphany, you have Epiphany Tide which lasts for another 28 days. So if you combine both Christmas Tide and Epiphany tides, you've got 40 days. There's that number we keep hearing about over and over again, right? 40, which symbolizes a time of trial and testing, but into a rebirth. And then you've got a few days off in what they call ordinary time, and then you start Lent, and Lent is another 40-day period before Easter. And then Easter starts Tide. That's a 50-day period until Pentecost. And then after Pentecost, you have almost a half a year of ordinary time until you come back around to Advent. And that's liturgical year, the liturgical calendar. And it all changes and differs between different denominations within Christianity, but that's generally what it is. And there are so many feast days and holidays that are embedded in all of this. So if we just look at the 12 days of Christmas, because we're on the third day of Christmas now. If we just look at the 12 days of Christmas, we've got holidays that are happening here already. We missed St. Stephen's Day, which was yesterday. So the second day of, first day of Christmas, obviously, is Christmas Day, the Nativity. The second day of Christmas is St. Stephen's Day, the first martyr. Today is St. John the Evangelist and the Holy Family. And then going forward, we've got um, Childermas and 1228, which is the remembering of the slaughter of the innocents, innocents by King Herod. And then on January 1st, we have the Feast of the Circumcision or the Presentation and what the uh, Catholics are now calling the Solemnizing of Mary, Mother of God. All these feast days happening within this 12-day period. And then also centuries and centuries of traditions wrapped around this liturgy, these cultural ways of celebrating, cultural ways of bringing this all together. Christmas tide. There are festivals. There are special foods that have been developed. Decorations, of course, wreaths and trees that have been handed down to us go back centuries in our tradition. And gifts giving, of course. In some cultures, a gift is given for each one of the 12 days of Christmas. So it's kind of like Hanukkah. You get a gift every day, you know. But of course, in our culture, we give all the gifts on the first day of Christmas, on the nativity. But some cultures wait until twelfth night, which is the, the last night before on Epiphany Eve to give all the gifts on twelfth night. So all these different cultures, all these different ways of doing this. You know? Christmas and twelfth night, big celebrations in Christian history. Huge festivals and parties and and, and always, you know, on the first here we go, first and laugh again last again, right? On the feast of the Epiphany, big celebrations. Things that you may not want to do, like winter swimming, jumping into the ice, right, and go winter swimming. That's a big thing in uh, Scandinavian countries, at least. House blessings for the new year, and star singing, singing carols under the stars. Something called chalking the door was one of my favorite ones that the, you do on Epiphany. and it's where you actually go and you write. with have blessed chalk, and you write across the lintel above the door, and there's a code to it. This year, it would be a 20 and then a small cross, and then a C, and a small cross, an M, and a small cross, and a B, and a small cross, and a 20. So the 20 and the 20 is the year, and then you have the crosses, and then in between you have C, M, B. There's two traditions for that, what they mean. The C and the M and the B would be the names of the three wise men traditionally, Caspar, Melchior, and Balthazar. Or in Latin, it means Christos Mansionum Benedictat, which means... Christ blessed this house and so that idea of a house blessing and so it's also an analog to the the Hebrew uh, Pesach where they put the blood across the lintel of the door to bless the house and protect it and so there is this idea in Christianity especially in folk Christianity that you're blessing the house against evil spirits for an entire year you know and so we look at these all these traditions and all of these and we think oh how quaint that is you know how silly that is, how superstitious that is. But you also have to think about how fun it is and was and how beautiful it is and was. There are so many things to what we do and what we do in order to celebrate and move through this liturgy and and so much of the liturgy that we've lost There's another one that's great, starting with Epiphany Tide. Epiphany Tide lasts all the way to February 2nd, which is Candlemas, or the presentation of Jesus. And that's the blessing of candles that they do, bringing the light of Jesus into another year. And so between 1225 on Christmas Day and 122 is this combined Christmas Tide and Epiphany Tide. Well, the the, uh, tradition goes that You put up your decorations for Christmas, but you should have them back down again by Twelfth Night, all right, which is January 5th. And it's bad luck for you if you leave them up past Twelfth Night. And if you do forget and leave them up past Twelfth Night, then you can't take them down until Candlemas on February 2nd, or it's really bad luck. So, yeah, what's that? Yeah, can we go that again? The, the upshot of it is with the kind of year that we've had, we're getting these suckers down next Saturday, you know, because we want, they're going to have all that going for us. You know, Again, quaint, silly, superstitious, but fun and beautiful. And I want you to imagine children going through these kinds of cultural celebrations of the liturgy. Imagine the lights, imagine the special foods that they never get otherwise, especially peasant children, poor children. And suddenly they got these sweet meats and they have these special foods. They have the trees, they have the wreaths, they have the candles. It would just be bigger than life. Their eyes would be saucers and they would be so engaged and immersed in all of this. But the adults too. We watch Christmas through the eyes of our children, don't we? We get wrapped up in all of this, don't we? There is so much here. This ancient liturgy, these cultural celebrations held communities together in a way that we are losing and have lost so much that we don't really understand how much there was a common bond forged by these practices, a common identity, an awareness of a people. It helped them to understand who they are. It helped them to understand who they are in relation to each other and relation to God. And we can say, yes, it's silly and superstitious, but it had an effect of knitting a people together in a way that we don't get. And it's not that the people necessarily understood the symbolism of what was going on with all of this, but it heightened their connection with each other. It heightened their devotion to God and to each other. Now if we go back a few centuries when these practices, especially in Europe, were in full flourish, these were a homogeneous people. They were ethnically and culturally very much the same. And so their culture and their religion and their worldview was enough similar that this liturgy and these cultural practices really drew them together. We're a very different people, aren't we? Very different people. We're a nation of immigrants, we like to say, but we are a patchwork of all these different cultures and all these different... Now, earlier in our history, still our Judeo-Christian roots held us together to a certain extent. But we've really lost that as we've moved more into a secular type of culture, as we've moved more into celebrating the cultures of our origin rather than what we have assimilated here in America we become kind of a, a, a quilt of different types of traditions and maybe a balkanization, if you want to use that word, where everything is now kind of sometimes at odds with each other. But we don't have this overarching traditional culture or liturgy to pull us all back together again, you know? And that's not necessarily bad in itself. I mean, it's great to celebrate all these different cultures but we're going to have to work harder to find how we do bind ourselves together, how we do overcome the differences and see the commonality. And so that's going to be, how do we create new liturgies? How do we create new rituals, new ways of drawing ourselves together? As our culture becomes more diverse, more secular, with no central liturgy or our or church that's strong enough to hold us all together, we find ourselves trying to maintain all traditions at the same time. Happy holidays is a way of just kind of blanketing that. But it doesn't reach down deep enough to really bring us together the way that culture used to. And because of that, our culture no longer helps us to order our lives, to order our habitual actions in a way that makes sense to us, in a way that gives us that sense of identity even meaning and purpose together as a community. And then this year, COVID has further just kind of eroded and broken down our regular cycles and patterns. Everything. Our work patterns are out the window. Our worship patterns are gone where we get coffee in the morning had to change, right? Everything had to change. Our food habits, all of our habits, all of our cycles had to change because of the lockdown and everything that's going on. So it's been a year of really a lot more of a breakdown of what we're loosely calling liturgy here, but regular rituals, cycles, and patterns. Now, rituals have gotten a real bad name in our society, haven't they, right? Rituals have become synonymous now with mindless repetition, with meaninglessness, boring, pretentious even. This is what we talk about when we talk about rituals often. And when people are talking about religion in a pejorative way, that's usually what they're banging up against. All this mindless repetition that means nothing. It's all empty. It's all hypocritical, whatever they say. And often... These rituals, this liturgy, can be all those things. It can become that when it's done poorly, when it's done mindlessly. But is that the same thing as saying that they have no value? Remember, our rituals and our liturgies have held us together since we were painting on cave walls. Does that mean that we don't need them anymore because we have the technology we have? Is there no value now to these rituals Remember, they give us a common way of responding and participating in our worship, but also in our daily lives as a people and as a community. And we obviously still need that. In fact, we need it more than ever right now with all the other systems around us kind of either breaking down, falling to the wayside. What is going to hold us together? How do we get beyond just the repetitive, and the boring, and the same old, same old. We have a youth-centered culture right now, focused on the extremes, right? On the loudest, on the fastest, on the best, on the first, on the last. This is everything that, that, that we're so focused on. You know, try this one time. When you're watching a, a show, when the commercial break comes on, turn off the sound, and just watch the images for the entire commercial set. And watch how fast the cuts come. I mean, it's that fast. Image, 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 image. They are inundating us with faster, faster, faster images. We don't even really have a sense of it when we're just watching. But you turn off the sound and just watch how fast those images are flashing, and you realize the speed at which we're going, the extreme to which we're going. And then just the garishness of the images sometimes is another, another look at uh, where our culture is going. That We're kind of not really aware of it, but turning off the sound somehow allows you to just see with a third eye. Do that sometime. And then contrast that with something that is a few years older. We were watching It's a Wonderful Life on Christmas Day. And there was a scene in It's a Wonderful Life, I don't know if you remember. It's toward the beginning where um, Donna Reed and Jimmy Stewart, uh, he comes over to her house, and the two of them are on a phone call, and they have the phone between their ears so they can both hear. It's a tight shot, just two heads and a phone receiver, and it's the old phone receiver, right? That That shot holds, I kid you not, for probably at least three minutes, maybe four, without a cut, without a camera move. It's just the two faces going through what they go through, and it rivets you, and it holds you. But if you turned off that sound and just watched those faces compared to the commercial set that's coming up, it's amazing. 1946, what, 70-some years, 74 years? How much has changed in our culture? How much we push the envelope into faster and faster and brighter and louder? What used to hold our attention does not hold our attention anymore. We become inundated with this. We become a bucket list type of culture. We always have the bucket list, the extreme things that we want to do before we die, right? Before we kick the bucket, we want to do these things. And it's always about the big, once-in-a-lifetime types of things. It's all about the first and the last and the brightest and the best, you know? It's never about just the middle. It's not about the third day. It's not about the middle child, you know? And now we're going into a new year. New Year's resolutions are even sort of falling by the wayside, but think about the New Year's resolutions that you would normally, Choose, if you choose. How many of you have done a New Year's revolution? Revolution. How many of you have done a New Year's revolution? (laughs) Resolution. Any planning to do resolutions this year? Uh, Maybe not so much, you know. But it's interesting, if you look at the top ten New Year's resolutions that people are typically doing, if they do a New Year's resolution, take a listen. One of them is to earn more money. Not bad, right? Lose weight. I always love that line from Nia Vardala. She said, Every new my New Year's resolution list usually starts with a desire to lose between ten and three thousand pounds. I like that one. Lose weight. Get organized. Manage time better. Spend more quality time with my family. Reduce debt. Help others. Find a soulmate or work on a marriage. Find a better job. Quit smoking. Do you know how many of those are gonna be kept? <laughs> About 97% of New Year's resolutions are not kept, and most of them are already blown by the first 30 days. Why is it so hard for us to keep these New Year's resolutions? Why is it so difficult? Because if you think about each one of these, earn more money, lose weight, get organized, manage time better, it's not a single event. It's not a bucket list item. It's an overall life change, right? Right? not an intellectual decision. You can't just decide to do this and wish it into existence. It's not an impulse choice that you can make. It's not a one-off. The only way that you can accomplish these resolutions is to activate through repeated, ongoing action. It's the only way this works. Repeated, ongoing action, all in a single direction. The discipline the dedication to keep showing up until that change takes, right? Do you know the, uh, the usual time it takes for a habit to become a habit? And Sometimes people will say 60 days, but I usually see 90 days. So you're going to have to be dedicated and disciplined, showing up over and over to a repeated action, at least through spring, right, if you're going to get this thing to actually become a new normal a new habitual way of living your life. Discipline, dedication, anything in life that's worth having is like this, isn't it? Think about marriage. Just say I do on wedding day and everything's fine for the rest of the next 40 years, you know? If you're not saying I do every single day of your marriage, you're saying I don't. And if you say I don't enough, no marriage. Think about any skill that you would like to have. Sports? Riding a bike? I don't know. Just, you know, whatever it is. You know, learning a language, whatever it is. Just building a reputation for yourself. This is not a one-off. This is not an intellectual decision. This is showing up every day and doing what you do until that reputation builds, until that marriage becomes strong, until that skill You're hearing that language in your head. You're not translating anymore. You're just speaking natively. It's the result of repeated action. No one-offs and pure muscle memory. Why is this so important? Because we're not defined by what we do once. It's not the bucket list that's going to define us. We are defined by what we show up to do every day, over and over, all day and every day and all day long. Now we long for the spectacular, the spontaneity of our bucket lists. Even George Bailey in It's a Wonderful Life, Jimmy Stewart's character, he dreamed of going off to all these places and building bridges and skyscrapers. He always wanted to do that. He was always dreaming of the spectacular, of the one-off, and yet, That sense of responsibility he had, that sense of caring for others kept him home while others went off and made all the money and became the war heroes and did all the other. We long for the spectacular. Bailey longed for the spectacular. But he stayed home, being unspectacular, living his day-to-day details. Now, the older brother of the prodigal, if you think about it, he's the one who stayed home, right? The younger brother is the one who took all the dough and left and did the spectacular things, the one-off things, the bucket list things until there was no money left. The older brother is the one who stayed home and quietly worked the fields and did whatever his father told him to do day in and day out. But what the elder brother never learned to do was to love the unspectacular things that he was doing. The day-in and day-out details of living life, and he carried a sense of entitlement around with him, that he was building up some sort of reward for his father, so that when his younger brother comes back and gets the party, he is furious, he's resentful, he's bitter, because he never learned to love what it was that he was doing while he was doing it. George Bailey had that same pull, that same tug, that same resentment. Until he's finally shown what his, not not what his life, but what the world would look without him having done what he did all those years. And then he flips, he turns. and of course, it's a movie, and it happens all within a few frames where he's suddenly in love with everything again for the first time, maybe. Now, for us, it's going to take a little longer, but the process is the same. Can we learn to love showing up day after day on the third day of Christmas, not the first and not twelfth night for the big parties, can we show up on the third day and realize it's just as sacred as the first day or the twelfth day? At the end of the movie, George is talked about as the richest man in Bedford Falls, his, his town. And he is. He absolutely is, but not in the way that he thought he would ever be. He was rich by having... Been completely woven into the lives of the entire community, being instrumental in the lives of the entire community. He didn't even realize what he was doing as he just got up and continued to keep things going as his father had done before him. Holding on to his father's ethics and, and legacy created something that he didn't even see coming. And that's the way it works. When we show up with our head down, nose to the grindstone, working day after day, things happen just because we're showing up in a way that we can't imagine. Think about your life. Think about life in general. Isn't it really all about repetition? Isn't it about just daily details? I mean, it comes right down to it. How far do you really travel from your house in a year? I mean, don't we just sort of circle the same, you know, I don't know, 30-mile radius? I mean, what do we really do? And then we imagine these great lives. Oh, they're globetrotters. But what's the whole world? But a 30 mile radius to creation, I mean, everything is relative. And if you take the person that you have on the highest pedestal right now, if you really could stand inside their shoes and experience their life, it's still getting up every day and doing details. You raise your kids for 20 years to get them out of the house. You know, I didn't mean that in a bad way. But you get up and you make breakfast and you make lunches and you worry about school and you deal with teachers and all the stuff that you do. But your kids, when they look back at you, just as you look back on your parents, the ones that showed up and did all that stuff that seemed so boring to you as a child that you thought you would never end up doing as an adult, yet that's what we value. We value the consistency. We value the showing upness. We value when we go to the store and it's actually open because a shopkeeper showed up at four in the morning to make sure that it was stocked and open and ready for you when you came in. Those people make our lives run. They make our lives work. They make life possible because they show up over and over and over again. What we do over and over again in our lives defines our character. Not the things that we do one-off. The things we do over and over. And if we can learn, like George Bailey, like we hope the elder brother of the prodigal ultimately did, we just don't get the rest of the story, if we can learn to love and value the repetition, the ritual, the joy of the unspectacular, if we can start to see value in just showing up, then we are coming back to that anavim heart that we've been talking about for weeks now. That humble heart, that heart that is filled with gratitude because it has learned to rely on God, to rely on the power greater than itself. Not always trying to be self-reliant, learning that independence comes a certain freedom, in humility comes a realization that we're all equal, we're all equally loved and equally blessed. There is a liberty that comes to that in a way that you will never experience any other way. As long as you are on the rat race, as long as you are on the hamster wheel trying to grunt it out, you will never experience what's happening over here in the Anavim heart. There's a great line you know, even if you win the rat race, you're still just a rat. How can we move back? Our culture is systematically killing any Anavim spirit in this flood of sensationalism that we've been talking about. And if we're really to follow Jesus, if we really want to follow him where he is going, we're going to need to swim upstream. We're going to need to work against our culture and against these forces that are pulling us always just inexorably relentlessly into a different direction telling us that these spectacular things is where it's at and that we've got to make it for ourselves we got to become an influencer we got to go viral that's the way that we are going to be known 180 degrees opposite of where Jesus is taking us into a place where no one will see what you're doing go into your closet interiorly, exteriorly. Your Father already knows what you need before you ask. You don't need a lot of words. You don't need to have anything practiced. You can just show up, and you are loved because you're there breathing, and for no other reason. Can we start to live that? Can we start to see our daily activities as sacred in that they define our daily participation in what is divine in life? Can we create our own liturgy? Can we recast our daily life as a response and a participation in our worship? Can we begin to see beneath the surface of things, to start to see the task within the task, that when we show up and do what we do, but we do it really well, we do it with, the word I'm coming up with is alacrity. Great word, huh? How about enthusiasm, (laughs) you know? If we can show up with that, can we see that we are creating community? We are creating structure, and we are creating service. Can we see that we can be accountable to that community, that we can be so invested in that community that they really see us, and we really see them, and they will miss us when we don't show up, and they will call us and find out if we're okay because we have been disciplined to the structure that gave us the opportunity for service. And without those five things in our life, community, accountability, structure, discipline, service, we will never have a sense of meaning or purpose. We will never know who we really are. And we will never experience kingdom as Jesus is trying to get us to experience kingdom. All these things come from just showing up, but more than that, loving the showing up. Learning to love simplicity consistency, and just showing up on the third day of Christmas. Not the first and not the twelfth, but the middle day, the unspectacular day, but a day that is just as sacred. We have a little liturgy, a little ritual here that we do every year at the effect, and it has to do with our Christmas tree. And if you get a chance I'm sorry, those of you who are on stream, you're not going to be able to do this. But those of you who are here, go over and take a look at that pink bulb right in the front there. That's the one that Michelle did. And I'm not, uh, you know, blowing her anonymity because she asked Frank what she should do because she doesn't have a real command of written English, right? What should I do? He says, just write it in your own language. God speaks all languages. And they had a moment together that really just bound them and she realized I can do this and she wrote in her Chinese calligraphy in the script it is just the most gorgeous thing I took a picture of it I want to share it but I don't have permission yet but I can share it with you all but this is what we do every Christmas. This has been our little ritual. You know, can't really say it's a liturgy, but it's a ritual that we do every year where we have those blank bulbs and everybody comes up during worship and they write whatever they want to write. It's a prayer. It's a, it's a, it's a bit of gratitude. You know, it's a heart's desire or it is just a prayer. Whatever they want to write and they put them on the Christmas tree. And it's been beautiful and it's been one of the things that kind of binds us together. I was hoping that a lot of people on the stream would have had their blank um, bulbs, and maybe some of them did. I know one did, because she sent me pictures. But but that's something that can hold us together. And I want to read you a few of these from not this year, but previous years. Listen to the quality of what people... Put on the bulbs? And think about it. You only got this much space to write something that is huge in your heart and your mind, right? How do you condense it down? What is the thing that you want to put on that tree for the whole next year before you do it again? It's kind of like, what do you put on your license plate? Be careful what you put on your license plate because it defines you, or at least it, you're defining yourself. What do you put on your bulb? Listen, please help us to love. Take the love I have learned here at The Effect and share i am grateful for my struggles because they have they have brought me closer to you and my family i love you mom and dad thank you my love for family back together woman that i love with all my heart thank you lord jesus for all you have blessed us with so much more than we deserve my life is good today only because of you lord I do pray that you continue to bless us with love and your presence. I pray for healing for all the lost souls, that they find you and have a good life. I love you, God, Jesus. May the outcome of my dad's trial be your decision, Lord. I will support it. And keep my mother safe and know that she can come back to the family. Most of all, I am amazed how easily I have come to embrace and actually hunger for more of this magic that seems to have possessed me. My soul soars to the sound of the beautiful music being played, and I am finding the spoken words of the scriptures have a whole new meaning. And I am so much more aware of the countless blessings I once took for granted. I have a reason to live, but I am not afraid to die. I believe. You guys, these are my heroes. Do you see? Those you will never hear about, those that will never go viral, those that won't be influencers on social media, the ones who just write of what is close, simple, clear, present to them in their moments. They show us that... Consistency is not boring if it's always based in the ever-changing presence of each other and God in every moment, immersing themselves in the lives and the sensations that they experience every single day, life as they rise to meet it, as they rise to live it. These are my heroes living the third day of Christmas as if it were the first. That's it. That's what Jesus is asking us to do. The third day of Christmas. Let's live this one. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this third day of Christmas. Help us to see it in an absolutely new way. Help us to see it as spectacular as anything that we can imagine in our lives. As spectacular as anything that has been told to us by someone else that we felt envy over, that we wished that we would have had or experienced. Help us to see that what we have right in front of us, right here and right now, is all there is. That it doesn't get any better than this that it's up to us to lean in and see what you have placed here that is just enough for us this moment and every moment. Help us to revere the middle child, Lord. Help us to find in the seemingly insignificant details the full sacred nature of who you are. That's our prayer, Lord. Allow us to fall into that anavim spirit, that anavim heart. Do not look to culture to show us what we should value and what we should pursue. But your heart, your values, embedded here and now in everything that we do. Father, thank you for giving this all to us. Thank you for your love and attention. And never let us forget, we can only do any of this because you did it first. And pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Would you all stand?